Right, go on, talk about Tracy Baker then. What's, why is she coming back? <laughs> no, I just saw today that her and Justine Littlewood, and she's got a kid. Not her and Justine Littlewood. Tracy Baker has a kid. No, I thought there was going to be a lesbian story there about Tracy. No, no. And... Okay. Although, I would ship that. I would have watched it if it was that. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought Justine Littlewood was unfairly discriminated against. Yeah. Yeah, she was... I related to her as a character. Yeah, but I've... Right. Do you know what? I'm <laughs> going to say something controversial here. And, and like... Don't you I, always? Yes. But <laughs> I, I watched Tracy Beaker as a child, right? And it was fine. But fuck me, was she so annoying? That's the whole point, though. Yeah, but unlikable. Mm. Did you watch um, Tracy Beaker Returns? No. Is that not what you're just talking about? Mm, I think this is like Tracy Beaker Returns 2.0, but Tracy Beaker initially returned. She was like a social worker. (laughs) Do you also remember um, Danny's house? Oh, wait. That's her actual name. The one with the aliens. Yeah. The one with. I randomly thought about this today. I think it was because I'd seen that video. Wait, are you recording? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, hi, everyone. (laughs) Hi. But um, <laughs> right, we don't need to introduce them. That's Tracy Beaker. Go on. Yeah, yeah. D- Danny's house was the one where she lived in a house, and then she was like controlled by aliens, and it would like sh- like go up to the sky, and there was these like weird. No, okay, no, didn't watch that one. I thought. Well, do you know what? Do you want some blast from the past? Uh, my parents are aliens. What? Oh my god. Was that um? Was that um? This Disney is gonna Channel? be one of those things where you'd be like, "I didn't have Disney Channel." I didn't have Disney Channel. God, Amish, Amish. <laughs> no, listen to this. Listen to this. I remember so vividly the day, like, my mom and dad sat us down, and they were like, "Oh, we've got some good news for you." And we were like, "What is it?" And they're like, "You're gonna get Disney Channel." <laughs> I remember racing home from school and like watching all the Disney Channel stuff, because I'd never done it before. But at this point, I was, like, fully in, like, P6, P7. Right. I know. Okay. I know. Oh, uh, you just give me... Oh, no, don't you know, that. This is... You're going to hate this, and you're going to get so annoyed at me. But you just give <laughs> me, like... say it then. <laughs> you give me proper, like, wasn't allowed, like, chicken nuggets as a child vibes. Like, do you know what I mean? Like... <laughs> Like um, hor- like horse girl in school, just like yes. <laughs> yeah. Like you give me big um, have to ask mum if I want a biscuit vibes. No. <laughs> no, listen. I remember. So on Fridays we would get to eat like a pack of crisps because it was Friday. <laughs> I've told you this before and like in our lunch boxes we used to get like little boxes of raisins and I remember like trying to get like swap it with my friends so that I could get chocolate but yeah we had a treat cover it was like locked but you know what that's why I've got issues today <laughs> do you know what also don't know why I'm laughing because I was just a fat idea? fucking teenager no, so <laughs> Yeah, well, you're on the other end of the spectrum. I used to eat, like, four packets of Doritos a day. Yeah, that's true, actually. I used to go home. I used to, like... This is... Oof, this is bad. I used to, like, get the bus home from school. It's, like, high school as well. 
let's get the bus home and <laughs> drop me at the spa and I'd just get a packet of Haribos at the spa and I did this like three or four days a week just eat them yeah well you do have a like natural affinity to Haribos and sweets I do have a natural affinity to Haribos I do I know I love sweets but um, <laughs> when we were in Kingdom of Sweets and you got like one sweet and it was like seven pounds from the pick and mix <laughs> yeah I got a single grain like, of sugar and they're like oh, <laughs> 14 pounds 70 please <laughs> you literally like guffawed you're like no <laughs> I know that when you're at that point as well you're just standing at the toilet like what <laughs> yeah it's horrible isn't it anyway anyway, anyway welcome anyway. boys and girls Welcome to Dead Talk. This is episode 33? 33, I believe, yeah. Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> because last week we tried to record this episode. And oh, fucking hell. You know, I've just been so, I've been so emotional and so annoyed at Zoom and us having to record over the, over Zoom and whatever. And it's like got to me so many times. And then last week I was just like, you know what, brother? No. <laughs> I was no. just like, no, we're done. Yeah. I mean, it cut off like four times and I hold my hands up and say it's probably my Wi-Fi, but it was so annoying because we would like get into it and then be such an audio delay. It's just like, it wasn't yeah. working at all. And, so apologies. And I'm was, sure you all missed us. <laughs> I know. It was you saying as well. It was like you were telling the story and you would cut out like five times within one sentence. And I was just sitting here like, that is horrifying just like no idea what you've just said like I'm just trying to play along like mm, a murder was it like okay yeah you're anyway. like oh interesting <laughs> oh my god you're kidding um so we're back again the much anticipated mirrors episode is finally going to get done I promise yeah um we've gone out enough I think <laughs> yeah we've really hyped it up but not because we wanted to because we literally didn't have a choice um mm-hmm. And don't worry if you think it's going to be repetitive because I didn't hear a fucking thing last week. It cut out <laughs> 700 times and I, I genuinely... Oh my God, I'm so sorry for you. I barely remember anything because it was like... That, 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 and I was like... Oh, oh my okay. God, that's so annoying. Yeah, it was really I would fucking that. annoying. It was actually kind of fine on my end, but I could tell by your face like you were just getting more and more fucked off. I was like, I <sighs> it's going to get to a point where I actually have just lost the ability to not punch a wall during this episode. So that is a <laughs> template for recording. Um, yeah. So anyway, we're back better than ever. Yeah. And why don't yeah. you finally tell us the, the case of the <laughs> Moore's murders? So... We are, as Lucy said, going to cover the Moore's murders today. Um, it is really quite a rough story. Um, it's not very pleasant. And I also just want to include a quick trigger warning um, that this episode does cover um, sexual assaults and child abuse. Now, I'm not going to go deep into it because it is quite horrendous, but obviously we'll be c- touching on that. So if that's going to affect you in any way at all, please, please don't listen. Um and um, you can tune back in next week. So yeah, now that is covered. Um, this is a story of two serial killers um, who specifically targeted children and teenagers in the 60s in Britain. 
And the tale takes place um, in these moors, which is why they're calling the Moors Murders. The bodies were all buried in this English moor. Um, I can't remember the exact name of it. We'll get to that. But so that's where, why we're calling it the Moors Murders. So I'm going to really out myself here. But where exactly is the Moors? So it's near Manchester. That's where they lived. They lived on the outskirts of Manchester. But <clears throat> I can't remember it. It's somewhere in my notes is the actual name of the moor. Okay. Um, but you know, like, what's that famous book about the moors? Um, mm. Wuthering Heights. Oh, you know, okay, like yeah, yeah. English moorland, like marshland. It's just like endless. It's quite hilly, desolate. Like there's nothing there. Okay. So you can imagine that it's quite a bleak place and a good place to bury bodies as well. Indeed. So, yeah. Um, so we have two two killers in this story. Um, we've got Ian Brady and Myra Hindley. Now, they ended up as a couple, um, but they obviously led independent lives before that. So I'm just going to start the story by giving you a bit of background on their early lives for some context. Um, so we'll start with Mr Brady. He was unfortunately born in Scotland, a stain to the Scottish name, but Boo. he was, I know, <laughs> Boo. Boo. he was born in 1938 to a unmarried woman who was a tea room waitress. Um, apparently she loved him very much as a child, but she was financially unable to keep him. So she actually gave him to um another family that she knew they lived um just down the road they were just like a local couple who had four children of their own okay so she yeah she couldn't afford to keep her son so she I guess donated him down the street (laughs) (laughs) but managed to keep a relationship with him so it wasn't like she just chucked him out she just didn't have the means to support him so yeah he was like raised with a Mary and John Sloan so for a while he took the name Ian Sloan but he then became Ian Brady so I'm just going to refer to him as Ian Brady from now on um but yeah he apparently now this bit reminds me of the story in Harry Potter like when (laughs) Dumbledore goes to visit (laughs) I know you haven't seen it but like I'm sure that's abnormal so listeners out there you'll know what I'm talking about but when Dumbledore goes to visit, you don't you you don't know what I'm talking about. I've right, well, seen I'll tell you what Harry say. Potter. Oh, right, yes, sorry, I know you have right, seen it. Go on. <laughs> you Potter geek. <laughs> no, when Dumbledore goes to visit Tom Riddle in the orphanage in the last film slash book, and oh, okay. when he's looking for the Horcruxes, so it's in his memory, and he <laughs> is like going to inquire about Tom Riddle, who's Voldemort, going to the school. And Tom Riddle's like a horrible little boy who like burns people and things like that and kills right. animals with his magic. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, you don't. No, I do. I do. I do know what you're talking about. I don't. <laughs> okay, I well, know anyway. it, Kika. I don't fucking know what you're talking about. The only thing I've taken away from that is you're a gimp. No, I'm kidding. Okay. No, I know what you mean. I remember like the whole narrative of Tom Riddle in like boarding school or whatever. And he was like basically just a wee shit. Yeah exactly that so this is essentially what Ian Brady was like as a child there's loads of reports of him like killing animals um, and having in quotation marks unpredictable behavior just being a really difficult person to live with and be around Um, and that was all the way up until he got a conviction at age 15 
um, mm. for housebreaking. Yeah. Okay. And so we he was say- like in and out. Of- oh, sorry. Poison. No, I was just going to say we were we were saying this before of like we were kind of discussing this uh, case, but like that kind of behavior, and you'll see it time and time again, is so indicative of serial killers. And it's so, mm-hmm. it kind of plays into, you know, we were having this discussion a long time ago in one of the episodes where we we're asking, you know, is it nurture, is it nature, is it a combination of both? And mm-hmm. that's such, that's such evidence as to, and, and um, pre- presented in so many childhoods of serial killers where they just like fuck with animals and just like, um, yeah. like it's almost, you were saying this last week when we tried to record, it's almost like this <laughs> fascination of anatomy and like destruction and I also yeah. think it's just like this fascination of control over like something uh-huh. and as a mm-hmm. child it is like control a and like habit. yeah I think control and also like seeing something rise in pain obviously gives yeah. some sort of satisfaction and being the thing that does that yeah having the power because mm-hmm. um but it's interesting you say that because I like what I've been working on not with the podcast but just like with work right now um has been like researching a bit about uh, psychopathic behavior and psychopathy and one of the like indicators on if you like research what like what the nhs classifies a psychopath as and one of them is um variation of crime and so not just repeat, like not just committing some same crime, like being a fraud artist or being like housebreaking or whatever. It's like being all of those things and not being able to be accountable for them. And it's really interesting because I see that in a lot of the narratives that we see. And especially in this case, because like Ian Brady committed like any crime under the sun, but like non-violent crimes at this at this point in his life. But there was no like it wasn't just housebreaking or it wasn't just like um, right. I don't know like hurting animals there was like loads of different police concerns about think, him so and do you think that's like that's so interesting to so for anyone listening and um watching or whatever Kika's been doing a lot of work with like um mm. will you explain it what have you been doing well it's just like ad hoc work um for a forensic psychologist and like I'm not cla- like a, it's classified information so I can't yeah of course but it's um just to do with like offenders and the psychology so behind that is really interesting yeah like it's fascinating but anyway I just like when I was reading about that I was like that's so applicable to what we talk about because like diversification of crime is such yeah. an indicator and also um the biggest indicator of future offenses is past offenses so it's like you can totally tell someone's or predict someone's behavior by their past offenses so, so I do think, you think like, that's really interesting. So do you think variation in crime, the reason that that maybe um, indicates psychopathy is because, so if I was me and I was robbing banks, you could very easily be like, well, <laughs> homegirl works part-time and wants to make rent. That's what she's doing. Yeah. But variation in crime is actually just more for the thrill of a crime. Exactly. There's no like real motivation behind it or incentive it's more like the action of crime itself and also Mm. complete lack of remorse although this is obviously very generalized and that's just one example or one um like checkbox of hundreds but I think it's a variation though 
the variation thing yeah. though that's very interesting I, I hadn't heard that before so that's interesting yeah anyway sorry you can go on it is um yeah I know but so that's kind of Brady's early childhood he was kind of in and out of young offenders juvenile court um he had nine charges against him by the time he was 17 um and shortly before his 17th birthday he was on probation on the condition that he lived with his birth mother so he managed to kind of get out of prison or young offenders. Um, and by that time, his mother had moved to Manchester. So okay. that's where he went. Um, but within a year, he was back in prison. It's very ambiguous what he went to. I was laughing about this with you last week because his conviction was that he was caught with a sack full of lead seals. And we don't have any idea what this means. So oh, yeah. listeners, if you know... <laughs> Um, let us know but yeah know. for some for some I think it's like I don't know some kind of tool or yeah it must or be. something yeah so yeah he's back in prison um and he only got out in 1957 where he wanted to and this is his quote-unquote better himself so he obtained he started to read about accounting and kind of train himself up apparently he was quite a clever guy but he also rented books from the library, which were Lucy, of course, Mein Kampf, and also other works on Nazi atrocities. Just a spot of light reading for the evening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just casual reading. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of his early life. Um, so not really anything. Well, I suppose the main takeaway was that he was not a very law-abiding citizen. No. Um, whereas Myra really has not much notable like history before she was with Ian Brady. She was born in 1942, raised in Manchester. Um, she came from a very working class background. Her parents were alcoholics and beat her regularly, which has been hypothesised that she was like brutalised from that for, as a child, okay. um, which I'm, I don't doubt is probably true. Um, there's reports of her like fighting in the like school playground and beating up like young boys and stuff like that um Good which <laughs> to be fair absolutely but I think <laughs> no. she was kind of known as like an unpleasant young girl but nothing like criminal right okay um and she became a typist um but apparently was like really well liked in the company I thought it was interesting because there's a report of her losing her first wage slip at a new job and everybody that worked at the company clubbed together and like donated her her wage slip so she wouldn't be short of money so she was obviously well liked um at that point and like wasn't <laughs> fucked up no, I <laughs> or was repressing been... it I don't know I've been well liked at many of companies and I don't think fucking none of them would have done that I don't know a single place I've worked that would do that I know but also imagine like getting a wage slip that you have to go and cash in yeah I know imagine it being um that like vulnerable of a way to get paid yeah. <laughs> like oh shit to be fair though when we worked at BRGR it was cash in hand remember yeah and was that was actually. always like hard always to not a... go and spend I know that was a good yeah. time good best maybe month and a half two <laughs> months of my life <laughs> Yeah, Lucy quit before I even started, I think. Is that right? No, I think... Um, we didn't ever cross over. No, we didn't ever cross paths in, um, in our burger, fl- burger flipping days. But <laughs> I don't think... Were you not there? No, you must have been there after, yeah. 
you must have gone after because it was fucking ages ago for me yeah so. well it was for me as well like I don't know maybe it was like maybe ages ago it was a long time ago I anyway. was like 1920 anyway anyway so <clears throat> that's Myra's early life um when they meet in 1961 it's because Myra joins the company Millwards where Brady works so they meet they meet at work and they're both typists and um, apparently she soon became infatuated with Ian Brady um, even though she knew that he had a criminal record um, which is a bit of a red flag to me but you know what each their own Come on, Myra. Um, you can you can do better than this well <laughs> so she um, had a diary that's been recovered and she wrote of her infatuation with Brady she used to date other guys to try and make him jealous um, but a few months later he finally asked her out um, of course Lucy they went to the cinema to see an x-rated film and then they went back to Myra's house to drink German wine <laughs> like what a niche date and this is what they did every plans. week. Oh, really? Yeah. They fucking uh-huh. wet dream, to be fair. <laughs> Although you don't like... <laughs> okay. Okay, we'll cut that bit out. <laughs> right, uh, ma'am, if you're watching. Um, the, no, German wine wouldn't really get me going, to be fair. I was about to say, you're not a wine drinker. No. Guys, Lucy doesn't drink... Lucy hates beer and wine. Like, what an annoying friend to have. I don't hate beer. You so, do? Oh no, you don't. You don't. Sorry, I don't hate why. beer. But I you never. You don't. You always drink cider. That's why. I do. I'm a. I'm a cider loving freak. But that's so she'll never like, you know, if you're going out for dinner drinks, you can never just share a bottle of wine. It's always dark Wait, fruits. You know what? Sorry. <laughs> also, first of all, I don't get a dark fruit every time. If I'm at the pub, no. yes, I will get a dark fruit. <laughs> but if I'm out for dinner, I might get an aspel. I might get a cidre. Okay, I might get a a Thatcher, a little baggy Thatchers, a little Thatchers <laughs> gold. No, but I don't. I hate. Do you know what? Sorry, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna go on a rant here. Mm-hmm. If you're like me and you don't drink wine, do you know how you'll know how annoying it is when your friends, when you go out for dinner with them, like, well, we just share a bottle of wine. You know, I don't drink wine, so no, <laughs> I won't share a bottle of wine. Yeah, but sometimes I think you might like grow up a bit and just say yes but never I do hate it does fill me with shame and I think I reconsider my life choices when I if someone asked me to share a bottle of wine I'm like right fine we can get a rosy but then I ask for a glass of lemonade with it I'm like no I need to get I need I'm 23 like I need to get a grip yeah that's also I actually hate rosy I think it's vital right okay so there's, we're really at an impasse here. We'll never go for wine. <laughs> you know what? Even with we'll things never... open back up, we're never going out to get <laughs> dinner again. We'll never go to the south of France to the vineyards. I mean, if you were paying, I'd go. I'd drink all the fucking wine there is. Like, I'm not going to the south of France anytime soon anyway. On this way, <laughs> no. On <laughs> <laughs> a zero-hour contract? Girls! Girls? I'm not even going to the <laughs> south of Morningside. Okay. <laughs> Let's continue okay, back. before I get mad about wine. <laughs> this, I know. <laughs> right. Um, so they drank German wine, right? Um, very oddly specific, but there you go. Um, and apparently 
the Ian Brady used to give her like reading material um as like homework and of course oh. <laughs> guess what it was Mein Kampf of course and other like Nazi stories they'd read um, that and then share a glass of wine camp <laughs> <laughs> shut up okay no nah, that's enough yeah I know I know I know um they would read this to each other at lunch at work like imagine <laughs> imagine going stop. into the staff room and there's like <laughs> your colleague just reciting mein camp <laughs> But that's apparently what happened. Would you um, believe me if I said I have? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hindley used to, Myra Hindley, I mean, when I say that. Of course. Um, she started um, emulating um, Aryan perfection. Now that's her words, not mine. She used to bleach her hair blonde and apply crimson lipstick. Um, she it definitely, started, like, dress- it definitely is your words and not hers because it's pronounced Aryan. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, another thing. It's like I have to mispronounce something every episode, but I'll, will it ever be as bad as this kind? I don't know. <laughs> right, fuck off. No. Right. What is the real That one? was me that too. Actually? It's Viking. Viking. We right, both whatever. were saying it. We were both saying but it. And my, dad conviction like, as well. <laughs> my dad was like, I think I might have to disown you. That is absolutely unbelievably tragic. Right. I was like, to be fair. To be if fair, dad. Viking, get over it. Yeah, yeah. What's he so hung up, hung up about? <laughs> <laughs> um so Arian perfection she was dressing more provocatively like just kind of doing whatever he wanted her to do which is so classic um she it's reported that she expressed concern at Brady this is fucked because she wrote a letter to her friend and in it she was like talking about how he'd drugged her one night but then later in the letter, she was like, but I really love him. And then a few weeks later, she asked her friend to burn, like, to get rid of the letter. Oh, God. So I think maybe that's the start flags. of the end. Red flags. I know, if none of the rest of it is red flags, then <laughs> yeah, maybe that's... your partner drugging you is one. That's going to be the one that sends me out, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they, that was them dating, and they were together ever since there. Um, they moved into... Myra's grandmother's house where she lived in 1963 still in Manchester um they didn't really have any friends or like community they were pretty solitary the only people that they really socialized with were um Myra's sister called Maureen and her sister's partner who later then married David Smith so they were a couple um, now remember David Smith's name because he's quite a key character in this story, but we'll okay. we'll circle back to that. Um, so yeah, now is the nasty part of the story. Them as murderers. Um, it is really quite grim, so prepare yourselves. But mm. um, yeah, on the twelfth of July, so the year that they moved in together, um, Brady started talking about how he wanted to commit the perfect murder. Um, which he did. Well, I'm not saying it's perfect, but he did murder someone. <laughs> um, <laughs> in oh, my opinion, like... it was the most perfect murder. <laughs> and as far as murders go, it was pretty darn good. <laughs> <laughs> 
on my today we're gonna rate the top five murders of all time <laughs> ian brady you've knocked it out of the park buster <laughs> <laughs> 10 points to you brady <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I love he... how we. This is always what happens. We take the piss out of something, then we're like, <laughs> and then you're like, so we slit her throat. And, I know, and I know. It's oh, so funny. It's oh, not great, oh. and I feel like I hope it's not offensive to anyone because it's obviously horrendous. Like I'm not, I'm not laughing at the story at all. But also, I think sometimes you do need to crack a laugh when there's something. Like, okay, no. No, like, you, you can't really need to crack. Um, no, you need to crack a laugh. As in, oh yeah, how do you say this? Like, I'm like an absolute. I, uh, no, I think first of all, we're making fun of you there. Like we're making fun of you yeah. messing up. So we're not making fun of what happened. Anyway, okay, so continue on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just like digging ourselves. Oh. Um. No, yeah, not story. funny. Okay. Um. So the way that they. Um, found their victims and this happened the whole way through the murders um, was that Myra would drive their van around the town and, and around Manchester and Brady would often go behind on a motorbike and like they would signal to each other by flashing lights so if he saw somebody like walking through because they just picked people at random off the streets and if he saw someone that he thought might be applicable he would flash his lights Myra would pull over and I guess because she's a woman, maybe he thought that she'd be more like approachable to yeah, trustworthy. More trusting. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how they picked up their victims. So it was just a matter of like really, really, really bad luck if you were if you were one of the chosen ones, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um so their first victim was a girl called Pauline Redder. She was 16 years old and on her way to a dance. Um, and she coincidentally knew Myra's sister Maureen um, but they didn't know that at the time um, so Henley, well Myra Henley drove past and offered her a lift to the dance so Pauline said yes, I think she knew who Myra was because of her sister right, so she okay. was like yeah got in the car um, and when she got in the car Hen- Myra was like oh I've lost my glove I'm going to go to the moor to try and find it do you mind if we do like a quick detour and Pauline obviously said yes. Um, and then Ian Brady arrived at the moor um, and was like, oh, I'm just here to help look for the glove. Um, and him and Pauline walked away. And then the report is that Myra stayed in the car and Ian Brady came back and had killed and raped Pauline. But okay. many people think that um, Myra Hindley was also involved in the killing and the sexual assault, but there's no proof. Um, but that's such she a, was like, almost um, that's such a thought out like plan yeah. for the yeah. very first killing as well. Like to yeah. do it for your very first time, they had a plan and a method, and they executed it with like each stage checked off. You know? Yeah, it was obviously like totally calculated and yeah yeah it's it was so grim and so she was buried in the moor and then they just drove away and that was that really but it wasn't over unfortunately um their next victim was a boy called John Kilbride he was killed that November so Pauline was killed in the July and he was killed in the November um, when he went missing, there was a massive search that went on. 
and there's over 700 statements taken and there was 500 posters of missing going around um, but nobody could find out anything really um, but the grim part is that he was only 12 years old which is like so young um, but again he was kind of picked up the same way um, and Myra said that his parents would worry that he was out so late so she would drive him home um, but again he took him to the moor and was sexually assaulted and strangled with a piece of string and then buried oh god you know like I didn't know there so... was much um I didn't know the level of like sexual assault that was in this like I yeah. thought it was I didn't know that they sexually assaulted um like that's two of them now like both well, of them were definitely they, yeah all their victims were sexually yeah. assaulted so it was almost sexually motivated I suppose but I didn't realize that either I thought it was like cold-blooded well it was cold-blooded murder yeah but just I don't murder. know if mm-hmm. yeah but the next um victim was a young boy called Keith Bennett um he was also 12 years old um and he was killed the next June so it was the November and then June of the next year in 1964 and um, he was on his way to his grandmother's house in Longsight which is just out of Manchester I believe um, and yeah you can guess what happened next it's the same story unfortunately um, the next victim was only 10 years old um, she was oh called God. Leslie Downey yeah and I think this is the most famous of the victims because of the nature of her death um, she was abducted from a, um, uh, what do you call it? Like an amusement fair? Like a. Oh, okay. Like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a. Theme park um, almost, but like a traveling one. But yeah, like a fair. Yeah, a fair, exactly. Um, they, like, plucked her away um, and they actually took her to their house, not to the moor. Um, and she was just treated absolutely horrendously. Um, just like briefly, there was a a sixteen minute minute videotape of her, like begging for her life. And there was um, and this was discovered after they after the couple were discovered, and it was played in court, um, which must have just been absolutely harrowing. And there was also photographs, like pornographic photographs, taken of her, um, before she was sexually assaulted and killed and buried in the moor again this tape is like infamous isn't it from this case yeah it's like yeah I can't even imagine being in the jury when that is being played like you would just be I think it would you would be traumatized after that oh yeah and what's like the, the thing that stuck with me the most is that the mother had to listen to that tape to identify oh. that it was her daughter's voice which is like it doesn't even bear thinking about it and like I can only just send so much love to that mother like can you actually oh imagine God, I know Jesus Christ no yeah um almost done with the murders <laughs> but the next one was um a man called Edward Evans um he was 17 years old um and he was like picked up from the railway station but this one was a bit different because he was like invited back for a glass of wine and okay. um, so I'm not sure how they 
managed to convince him whether it was just like acting out of fake goodwill or whether they pretended to know him or something Mm -hmm. but he was essentially lured back to their house um where they were drinking so it was mostly Brady and and this guy Edward um, and Henley says she was upstairs um then Ian Brady says to Myra go and get David Smith now do you remember who I was talking about when I say David Smith yes the so Myra's like brother-in-law Yes, exactly. Good memory. You've been listening. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So it's unclear. I don't really get, understand the motivations behind this, but I think that Ian Brady basically thought that David Smith was a very trustworthy man. Okay. And he was worried about the um, cleaning up of a dead body. So basically what happened was Ian Brady cut off um, Edward Evans' legs and then or had or was or proceeded to sexually assault him and then strangled him um and david smith's testimony states that he i mean i'm not going to say it all because it's honestly horrendous but there he says that ian was standing over him facing him with his legs on either side of the young lad the lad was still screaming ian had a hatchet in his hand he was holding it above his head and he hit his head with the hatchet. It was a terrible hard blow. It sounded horrible. So oh so God. David Smith just walks into that, apparently. Right. Um he then he then I watches Brady. Yeah. He then watches Brady like throttle the guy to death. Um and then is instructed by Ian Brady to help clean up. And David Smith says that he was so like shocked and terrified that he just did it. And they like cleaned up the body and took it to the moor. And the story goes that David Smith got back to the house, was sick everywhere, and then immediately phoned the police. So it's so funny because what would you do in that situation? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can say what you would do, can you? I know. I, know, I just, can't. You can't sit. I think you would go into like fight or flight. Yeah, I I don't don't know. It's it's one of those situations where if you were him and you walk into this, like I mean, imagine you walk into this scenario and he's got hatchet in hand and he's doing this. Like, Mm -hmm. how do I know he's not going to do that to me if I say no? Well, exactly. It's like self-preservation, isn't it? If you're ordered to do something, you do it. Yeah, in in that scenario where it's like, well, I my life's probably at threat here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. oh my god but then I don't understand I mean yes yeah, so Ian and Myra must have thought that he wouldn't say anything to the police um, because he was unaware of, of, of their previous murders it wasn't like he was in on it um, yeah so it seems like a bit of a bizarre I mean also keep in mind them. though they're very bizarre people and that's yeah, really yeah. their only friend that isn't Myra's sister and that at that mm-hmm. it's Myra's sister's husband like they don't have any pals so Mm -hmm. they're probably their perception of you know they don't have perspective from other people so they probably do think well yeah he'll be fine like he won't tell anyone yeah and maybe they thought it was like a spectacle that they wanted to share like something like something yeah maybe like that Mm -hmm. of course when the police were phoned um they were immediately arrested um but only over the murder of edward evans that was all they had evidence for but they were both detained and then 
when the police were searching the house, um, they found an old exercise book with the name John Kilbride. That was one of the 12-year-old boys, okay, which yeah. then obviously made, made the two of them a suspect in that disappearance. And in a suitcase, they found the photographs of Leslie Downey, the ones I was saying, the um, pornographic ones, yeah. and the audio tape. Um, so they were suspected of her murder as well. So that was the initial three that they went to trial for. Um, mm-hmm. Although it was suspected about the other two murders as well, there was not quite enough evidence to support that. Um, so by the December of that year, they, Ian Brady was charged with the three murders and Myra Hindley was charged with the two murders of Leslie Downey and Edward Evans, and she was charged with being an accessory to the murder of um, Kilbride because there wasn't enough evidence to show that she was actually active in that murder. But they were both sentenced to life without parole. And now the death penalty had been rescinded, like abolished, just the year before. So if they'd okay. been discovered the year before, then they would have been sentenced a bit to death. And there's a lot of there was a lot of public outcry and yeah. um, disgust. And I mean, as you can imagine, with a heinous crime case like this, the members of the public were absolutely vying for the death penalty to be brought back because they thought that was the only like justification really for their actions. Um, it's quite uh i mean it was it was a huge news story um and it still is or was a few years ago yeah it's like it's mad because i think that that particular case just like shook that entire like you know i obviously i know about it but like it's one of those ones that it's like i think there's few in the uk that you like completely just stick in your mind it's like that one like Yorkshire Ripper stuff like that like that but that one I was talking to Alice my friend Alice from my year in school Alice Mm -hmm. Horsburgh she was talking about so all of her family is from like that area like all of her Mm mum's family and stuff and her mum was just saying um how like everyone at that time was just like completely like shook about it just completely like yeah it was her area but also her mum's like age as well like the people the women that were taken and stuff and whatever so it's just mental like I think it I think it's an interesting um kind of exploration into society at the time because I think generally communities were closer and life was more local so a story like this shook the nation because they it was such a gross mistrust or gross violation of what it means to be like trusting of your community and, and also looking after most vulnerable in society and all of that. And I'm not obviously suggesting that that hadn't happened before and it was like this new revelation. But I think on a scale, and especially at a time where mass information was easier to access, like news travelled quite faster. And because of the total controversy around their sentencing it became this like like nationwide debate almost and yeah everybody knew everything everything about the, the trial and all the details and I think another issue that was kind of on the conscious of the world or of England at the time was that they hadn't found a lot of the bodies so that was another like public outrage was that like how can these families grieve like the bodies recovered um, and I'll 
talk about that in a minute because there's quite a lot to do with that in this story but so I think all of those factors made it such a huge um not even news story just like event that happens oh yeah like almost cultural event like societal Mm -hmm. um it was it was just like an absolute stamp in history wasn't it yeah you're absolutely right um so yeah that's essentially the story of how they were um convicted oh, I couldn't yeah. spit the word out there <laughs> yeah convicted, convicted. Yeah. um but as you say it was only three out of the five well we only know of five and I think there's only five but there's been some suggestions that there was another murder but I don't know anything about that um so over the, the trial they managed to recover th- those three or three of the bodies from the moor um but by the time they were sentenced to prison, there there were two bodies still missing, um, and the killers were not cooperative on how to find the bodies. Um, and this is a really famous part of the story as well. Um, in November of 1986, um, Bennett's mother, if you remember Keith Bennett, one of the oh, twelve-year-old yeah. boys, she wrote to Myra Hindley to beg essentially for her to, to say where's the body like because she says I haven't been able to grieve properly I don't know where my son is like you are in prison now like please just tell me where the body is um, oh, but Hindley didn't react she didn't do anything um, and then there was another letter sent by the mother to again beg and at this point there was some some I mean, nobody knows the true motivation behind her complying, but it's pretty much obvious that it was because there was an option for her to appeal her sentence. So the time had come around. I th- I don't know. I think it's every five years, but I could be completely making that up, where you can like appeal your sentence or appeal okay, to get yeah. out earlier. Um, so that happened to be around that time, and suddenly she was complying and, and appearing moved by the letter and wanting to help and she, like find the body. Oh, so you kind of roll your eyes, exactly. You're like, sure, but um, she did comply. Um, although nobody knows her true motivations, she um, agreed to help identify where in the moors the body would be. But even though she did that, the search proved to be fruitless. Like it didn't, it didn't help, and she claimed to be disorientated and she couldn't identify any like landmarks or anything however by the february of the next year so that was in the november december january time by february she committed to all the five murder uh, committed admitted to all the five murders um in a public statement um her statement was over 17 hours long and she wrote a thirty thousand word plea to go with it um she basically said that she was manipulated and abused by just did his bidding um although I mean I don't know how you can really make any claims but I don't buy that like no I know so what so what is your stance on this well I think it's interesting to compare it to other cases that we've done like for example the serpent because that was a duo um but it's violent murders and violent sexual assault that she participated in. She wasn't an active, she wasn't like um, just compliant. She was actively engaging in the acts. Yeah. Um, 
so how can you then say I was manipulated yeah and even if well, you um, want to an extent you cannot yeah you cannot yeah and I mean I think like that I think yes you were infatuated with somebody um who's a monster and therefore they probably had an influence on you like absolutely mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. yeah you can argue he had a violent and criminal past or whatever and she didn't but you know it's not like if you want to compare it to the serpent it's not for financial gain which I mean, you know, by the end of it, the serpent probably wasn't, but at the start, it definitely was. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the girlfriend in the serpent definitely seemed like she was just here on this, uh, on the run with him because she was in love with him. But she is actively Mm -hmm. just, Myra is just actively engaging in these violent murders with no, no reason to, really. Yeah. I mean, it's not to like diminish what Monique did in The Serpent because no, no, not at all. She was a criminal, mm-hmm. but at the same time, she didn't. Yeah, she was, as you say, she was passive, and she would like find people for him to kill, but she didn't actively engage in like the violent acts. And I think that's yeah. a massive differentiation between the two. Absolutely. So no, anyway, she's she's a victim of, or even if she is a victim of manipulation, doesn't take away doesn't do anything doesn't absolve her guilt in that her actions exactly exactly um and so there was massive public outrage at her near spin of release um, as you can imagine because especially because two of the bodies hadn't been found and she was suddenly like oh but I was a victim like playing the victim as Mm -hmm. you can imagine must have absolutely infuriated the nation um however Brady Ian Brady was also complying when he heard that Myra had admitted to the five murders he then admitted to the five murders he realized there was no way he could not deny it and their life sentence couldn't change because it was a life sentence so there was no further trial because nothing would have been gained from it but what did change was that he was then required to help search for the bodies okay so um they managed to kind of pick out a specific landscape or landmark that um, reduced the search, the search area. Um, and after a hundred days of searching, they found Pauline Reed's body. You remember the first victim? Yes. Who was 16. So they found her body. Um, and that was obviously good. Well, good news not really good news but good news for the family eventually <laughs> yeah yeah good news in fa- in terms of uh, grieving yes and being able to i suppose almost like put it to rest in a way or say yeah. your goodbyes have a bit of closure but yeah unfortunately the same cannot be said for bennett um it's so sad his body's still never been found that's the infamous that's one of the most infamous parts of it isn't it is this keith bennett's mm-hmm. never been found yeah um, I don't know if they ever if there's even an open investigation anymore so, um, it was what now like 60 years ago now almost so I wonder if you think so they've complied with a lot in the end they've complied with like the search and whatever and they found uh, yeah. Colleen but do you think they Pauline. don't oh sorry Pauline <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs> Uh, so they find Colin and they <laughs> no that was a bad joke but anyway they, so they comply with that 
But do you think they don't mm-hmm. know where Keith is? Like they just can't remember? Or do you think it was just their last final, like, fuck you? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for the sake of humanity's sake, you'd like to think that they don't know because that is just unspeakably yeah. evil. Um, but I mean, you would remember where you've buried the body, wouldn't you? I mean, At I least guess, you'd remember, you'd remember like, like, where you drove. You would remember which road you took. Like, vaguely. I'm not saying X marks the spot, but I don't no, know. That's seems, true. That's I don't true. know how big... I think these mirrors are pretty vast, to be fair, but... Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to tell myself that they don't remember, but I do have suspicions about that. And it, I don't think it's I'm almost that, easier um, to think. I don't think I'm that optimistic or um, mm. what's the word glass half full kind of person. I think, yeah. I think they probably, cause I think as well, if you're that person, if you're Ian Brady, you know, he, you know, in his words, wanting to commit the perfect crime, it's like, mm-hmm. and in your words, it was the perfect crime, but um, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, that was a joke. Cause you said that, but anyway, um, <laughs> like with that idea that he wants to get away with this perfect crime, you got to think about like that's kind of been taken away from a bit because one he got caught and two yeah. Myra's admitted to them right so he's feeling probably a bit less of like the big dog now so probably yeah. I think his last final regaining of power was I'm actually just never going to tell you where this last one was yeah it's like final finger up to authorities to say yeah like, well you exactly. can capture me but you can never yeah I agree with you and I think apparently he um never expressed remorse for his actions. The only thing he ever expressed remorse for was in broiling Myra in the whole, like, crime. But that's the only thing he ever showed emotion towards. Imagine hearing that. Imagine hearing he makes a statement and you think it could be remorse against what he did. And it's like, I'm just really sorry that involved Myra. Like, fuck you, man. Like, yeah. So he not only did horrible things, but he was like not repent. He didn't try and repent it whatsoever. No. Um, and yeah, that's really the grim, grim tale of the Moors murders. Um, so he I passed went, away in like 2017, didn't he? Yeah, recently. I don't know if she's alive or not. No, she died really, she died of like brain cancer or something, like not that long, uh, sorry, in like 2005 or something. So she did, yeah, I remember reading that now, but he died recently because I remember my mum being like, oh god, I remember that being on the news when I was young. Yeah, I I remember when he died and it was kind of like, I remember seeing on Twitter maybe, it was, was it 2017 that he died? I think so. It's on my um, other more rambly notes. Let me look up. I think he died, and I remember seeing it on like the news and Twitter, and it was this kind of week long thing that was. Yeah, it was twenty seventeen, let's say. Right. Okay. And it was mm-hmm. this like long, long term news story because it was kind of this fight into like it was basically he was gonna die, and they were like, "This is like he's on deathbed," and it was like, "Are we gonna get this out of him?" on his deathbed like is he gonna tell us before he dies and then he just fucking didn't yeah no he didn't and um i'm just reading an article about it now and apparently he oh. <laughs> sorry i'm just reading this it's fucking grim it's all about the story 
Um, but on his deathbed, apparently, he like condemned the victims, and what a pig. Yeah. Oh, this is so sad. So the mother of Keith Bennett died in 2012 without ever knowing where her son's final resting place was. That's just like the cruelest thing ever. It is the cruelest thing. And Myra died in 2002. So right. I guess at least they no longer walk this earth. But that's true. What a fucking horrendous, horrendous story. It is just that like is... it's so. I mean, I know this is such a cliche thing to say, but, like, the actual act of doing something like that is so, so far removed from any, like, scrap of humanity or, like, compassion that it's so hard to believe that they could ever, like, I don't know, hold down a job or feel, confess to feeling love or, I know like, maintain human relationships and then do something like that. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. And like you think you must be able to like someone like that must be so unhinged that you must be able to spot them from a mile away. But yet they're working in an office and they were at the pub and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's just mm-hmm. like, how do you how do you how do you hold both those things inside of you? Like, how are you both the person that can sexually assault a 10 year old or a 12 year old yeah. um, murder them and bury them in a like a hill and then yeah. go to the pub with your pals like how can that be yeah. in the same person I know and I wonder like what do you think do you think that these like these crimes would have still been committed had they not met each other or do you think it was a union that the union of them that don't know, was the perfect I think, marriage I think it's so easy to think like I said earlier it's so easy to look at like Ian Brady having a lot more of a criminal past than Myra and I think both Mm -hmm. of them probably would have gone on to I think Ian Brady definitely would have gone on to commit murders for sure Mm -hmm. and I think Mm -hmm. Myra was probably just predisposed to find herself in one of those situations I don't know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just think she was probably she seems very much like she had that in her and needed someone to take the reins but yeah I agree she she had it in her to like she was equally as fucked up as him and equally Mm -hmm. as violent and psychotic probably but I think she was more um she was less dominant of a more less aggressive and dominant as a as a like person and needed someone like Ian Brady to like actually just be the mastermind be the mastermind yeah exactly and like start it you know yeah what do you think it would be interesting to do a story on that in reverse because we've done a couple of like the the women almost being like accomplices not that they weren't active participants but see what I mean well for that story to flip because I don't actually know if I know any do well interestingly I think the next episode that I'm going to do which will be the next episode I did a poll last last episode that I did was obviously Heaven's Gate Cult and Uh I asked on the Instagram poll whether people basically wanted to see Heaven's Gate or Aileen Wuornos and I think Aileen Wuornos is an amazing case to unpack in terms of looking at female serial killers and their psychology Mm. as as much as as far as a duo I don't know 
I don't know. It's like a female kind of dominant part of a duo. That's really interesting. We should try and look into that. Yeah, we should. I'll um, research it, but yeah, I think gender dynamics are really interesting in cases like this. Yeah, like how it plays. It's so funny to take something that's so like almost medieval or even primal, which is like Uh man, man, roles and women roles and then it like even translates into the weirdest parts of um society which is like these vile yeah. acts of violence and it's still yeah. almost like this passive role as a woman it's like yeah but you're like killing people yeah or even just like instinctively using the woman to uh, like like lure people in. the children because they know that she's maternal or whatever reason. exactly like it's just it's it's so interesting isn't it's it? like that kind of yeah it is but I think that'll be a lot of um the kind of stuff that we look at next week in in that episode with Alien Warnos because I'm excited because so I don't know anything about that oh I like not to... shock I don't know about a serial killer <laughs> <laughs> not to uh hype it up but Alien Warnos is like without a doubt I know and I have it like so burned into my mind it was the very first thing very first case ever that got me into like true crime and I remember I Mm. got when I got Netflix for the first time this was what must have been fucking years ago when we got Netflix I watched the documentary about Aileen Wuornos just randomly and I was like this is the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life so you're gonna like be so fascinated it's so interesting yeah I'm really excited to hear it Anyway. Well, any other comments on this or do you think we'll wrap up uh yikes and <laughs> screw them fuck them yeah well wow that bad, was bad. thank you for doing that that was a really really interesting we finally got it done no not at all i know uh, thank god i'm glad it went ahead okay worth worth the wait though it's a super interesting case and yeah um, it's interesting yeah if you guys thanks for listening guys yeah if you've been listening watching on youtube um give us a like and a comment on youtube share share Mm -hmm. it on your social media it always helps us out especially um right now help us please in this pandemic we would like to (laughs) entertain more people um but yeah as always you can follow us on instagram and facebook uh we update about what kind of episodes we're doing and also a lot of the time ask people what kind of episodes they'd like to see so if you have an idea for mm-hmm. a case just message us and we would yeah please do have a look at it um but thanks for listening and see you later see you next week <laughs>